You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Good afternoon, Riverdale gang, or whatever time of day it is in your part of the world. It's the afternoon right now for me, currently. It is also for me. Ryan and I are right next to each other, so it'd be odd if we were in different time zones. Mm-hmm. There's very few places in the world where that would work. Yeah, and... Vancouver's not yeah, one of 12th them. 12th and Oak in Vancouver's not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's my address. <laughs> hey, gang. Um, how are you weathering the hiatus? I'm antsy and confused, without direction. Um, <laughs> forgetting what day it is, what month it is, what life is. Um, seeing a redhead on the street and snapping to attention, commentary ready. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> That's not my response to redheaded boys on the street. How are you, Chloe? I'm fine. Um, I feel the absence of Riverdale, but mm. I'm but I'm feeling it with many other things. <laughs> so it's okay. It's just fine. Uh, I am getting soft excited as news trickles out about the Sabrina series, which oh, yeah. um, is being developed. It's not for by the CW. It's not. In the same universe, but it is being developed by um, uh, Roberto uh, Aguero Sarcasa. Aguero Sarcasa. Sarcasa. The uh, our show creator in Commander, uh, mm-hmm. art dude person who's Riverdaling it up, um, and so his feed has had a nice stream of uh, good goods, Sabrina casting news. Um, oh, cool. Including uh, Ambrose is, uh, I believe, a relatively like. new, new to the the national scene actor, like not not terribly well known actor. But uh, Ambrose is um, instead of being a wild queer coded older uncle, is now a young cousin um, who is, uh, I believe, imprisoned in the Spellman residence. Whoa! So they have like. This young British black teenager playing a pansexual warlock who used to be this queer-coded uncle comedic support character. You didn't see the face I made, but it was one of shock, awe, and interest. A little, All of these wonderful little steps. Thank you, Roberto. Um, I'm excited for that character evolution. Um, they cast uh, Aunt Hildy, who... Okay. She looks really young. Uh, I didn't recognize the actor off the top of my head. I was... Literally scanning this um, Twitter feed uh, while waiting for in the moments before Chloe uh, arrived and buzzed for hmm. my apartment. So uh, I could be better researched, but I'm just um, enjoying riding the wave of my own excitement for a new Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I never watched a lot of T- Sabrina the Teenage Witch when I was a kid, but I read a couple mm. of books one of them I remember in particular was like a Roman holiday rewrite with Sabrina on the back of a motorbike. Oh, cool. It was like a sparkly purple cover. <laughs> she went to England as well. All sorts of things happened. It was pretty good. I, I read it like two or three times. Mm. I didn't read a lot of the like beautiful man scoops you up kind of books when I was a kid. I read a few, but not too many. And that was one of them. And hmm. it was a fun experience because there was magic involved. Oh, very cool. I didn't even know there was a YA series with Sabrina. Mm-hmm. I, I was in the, like, definitive mm-hmm. Melissa Joan Hart generation. She was on Sabrina. the cover of the book. 
Okay. For sure. Oh, so it was like the tie-in mm-hmm, Merc mm-hmm, books mm-hmm. to that series. Very cool. Yeah. So that series is um, exciting, and we'll probably uh, snark along quietly uh, as as we Riverdale. Yeah. I, I at least plan to be watching Sabrina. I don't know about you, Chloe. Yeah, I'm I'm totally curious. Maybe we'll have a spinoff podcast. Yay! Or, or at maybe, least a spinoff episode. Yeah, I th- maybe just a spinoff episode, because maybe Sabrina the Teenage Witch is the show we just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of analyze. We'll see. Who, who does that? You know, it's funny. I was talking about this recently with someone. I So I have a... Um, uh, a couple of friends who like describe themselves as big kids mm-hmm. and I was ta- I was thinking about why I don't feel that way hmm. like why I don't feel like I have an inner child right and why I don't <clears throat> why I don't often just like look at a piece of art and like enjoy it the way an innocent would and I realized it's because my parents interact with art, my dad in particular, but my mom too, interact with art by analyzing it. Mm. That's how they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I got that, like, young, like, <laughs> way younger than is appropriate to make a child intellectual. And yes, there's some, like, privileges of education happening there and some, like, like pedantic, like, we're going to make our kid into an intellectual snowflake thing happening there, which I'm not upset about. I'm very grateful that that happened to me. But I realized that I, like, analyze and respond and look for similism and, like, metonym and synecdoche in things as a way to enjoy them. And Mm. I don't have an inner child because I, like, was just trained to look in art like an an adult. So, yeah, that is how I enjoy art. I have some crayons sitting around if you... How do the crayons feel about being used, though, is my question. Uh... There's a great children's book about that, actually, <laughs> called The Day the Crayons Quit. Uh-huh. Um, this little boy gets to his, um, uh, uh, like, his work table at school, mm-hmm. and he's been left a series of letters from each crayon saying why they're going on strike. <laughs> like, the pink one is like, you don't use me very much, and I'm tired of being princesses. I want you to make a pink astronaut or a pink dinosaur. I'm done here. <laughs> these, like that kind of thing. These are feminist labor activist crayons? Yeah. Where can I get this book, Chloe? What's it's it called, called? It's called The Day the Crayons Quit. Okay, okay, because all the children in my in my life need that. Yeah, and then there's a sequel need now. That the day a lot. The, there's also a sequel now called The Day the Crayons Came Back. Okay, because because strikes can have a peaceful resolution, and <laughs> and <laughs> Sue's overanalyzing now. <laughs> <laughs> Once the crayons have the means of production, yeah, everything will be great. Mm-hmm. As the sequel must assuredly show. That's. Yeah, and then but I'm the, writing fan or, fiction for a children's cl- crayon series in my mind now. Socialist utopia but fan fiction. An oran- the orange and yellow one are having a bit of a spat because they both think they're the color of the sun, and they're having an argument like through the boy about who's the Aww. true color of the sun. This is some good, good children's material. Yeah, it's really good. If I if I spawn one day, you are helping me stock my library. Sure. Excellent. Sure. Um. Where were we? What are we? What's happening? Riverdale, Chloe? Riverdale. Oh yeah. I have a bit of a goal for this particular podcast. This hiatus week. Last uh-huh. hiatus week, we sorted all of the. We checked in with every character, which I think mm-hmm. we should do again. Mm-hmm. And we also sorted every character into their appropriate Harry Potter house, which I'm very glad we did. 
<laughs> I wish I remembered any of that. Um, I re-listened to the... I, what, most, almost everyone was in Slytherin, which I thought well, was funny. Yes. Um, also, I would love to talk about some of the technical aspects of this show. Oh, because yes. every time you get excited about a technical aspect and start talking about it, I get distracted by the plot and talk over you. <laughs> so I would like an opportunity to um, actually talk about that a bit. Yeah, a, like a vague impressions standing technique. Um, it's going to be interesting. That'll be... Um, uh, more challenging than commenting on the fly, uh, well, but I'm excited. Out, I'm ex- they, yeah. That's a great thought, Chloe. Um, I like that idea. And do we have any other novelty pop culture? Um, I mean, houses are definitive, but I... Hey, by the way, I don't know, um, talking... This isn't quite pop culture. This is mm-hmm. more like current political culture. Yep. This is a show for teenagers. Same, same. This is a show for teenagers, American teenagers specifically, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we have any American teenage listeners, but if you are an American teenager or the parent of American teenager, I mm. want you to know that we support you walking out on April twentieth to protest the um, the gun legislation that exists in the states. We support you. We are your allies. If you want to reach out, let us know what we can do. One hundred percent, podcasters. Even just as neighbors, as Canadians yeah. over here, um, we're rooting for you and. Yeah. It's been a bad news week, I guess, if we're going to get political. It's been bad in America. It's been bad up here in Canada. Mm -hmm. We had a lot this weekend of uh, racialized violence. We had some uh, legal cases with outcomes that um, have stirred some. We're also thinking about the family of Colton Bushy, for sure. Yeah, it's it's been a week... Um, I am so heartened, though, by all of the young survivors in Florida who are, um, fighting, uh, for themselves, because I guess no one else is gonna do that. Yep. Um, so we have literal teenagers in the worst of grief and trauma who are now taking the political stage, because it's, that's, I mean, that's the setup for... Just about every dystopian YA novel in the last 50 years. Yeah, pretty when, much. When the, the 15-year-olds who just survived being shot at have to take on the president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically the plot of The Hunger Games. You're right. So we've gotten there, um, which means I think also maybe those are the only people who can actually change the world. Yeah. Uh, if we actually get behind you all. Yeah. So... Yeah. There's even a little lad in Riverdale in the form of Tony Topaz. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you're listening to this, probably on the 22nd, um, who knows what the world will have thrown out by then. Um, but I'm excited to see where um, this discussion, led by uh, the youth survivors, uh, yeah. continues and goes. Yeah. I was talking about this with my dad today, who's an American, who mm-hmm. lived in the United States in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, the little message for politicians and lawmakers, if we have anyone who's <laughs> listening to that and listening to our podcast who's one of those, I doubt it, but... We can check IPs, see if there's any in D.C. That'd like, be kind of fun. Capitol Hill has a very distinctive IP address. Ooh, super trackable. Um, not that Ryan would know anything about that. <laughs> um, uh, and he sort of said, this is how the 60s got started, when young people got sick of the establishment. So, mm-hmm. lawmakers and politicians, if you would rather avoid 
the sixties again. Mm-hmm. You should you should give those kids what they want now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just Cause, saying. Because you know Be how we radical. remember McCarthy. Yeah. You know how lovingly we remember McCarthy. Yeah, it's not even like even remembering lovingly. Like if you would like people to stop getting shot on campuses, you don't mm-hmm. want you want fewer clashes between the cops and young people. Like, you know, give s- people what they want. Small goals, small aspirations. Not dying. Not dying. It's goal. So, anyway, we're thinking of you. Mm-hmm. And, um, Constantly. We have left our summary years, our salad days behind us. It's been ten years since Ryan and I graduated from high school. Eleven. Eleven in Ryan's case. And um, almost eleven in my case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh... I had the best ten-year reunion. I didn't go. Oh. It was great. I didn't go. I didn't go to mine, which I regret a little, but not enough to be really broken up about it. Um, I Skyped into mine for 20 minutes, um, because I was in Tokyo on a, on a, on a study grant. Uh, and I, that just felt real great. Which made you the coolest person there. It was pretty cool. I, I woke up early for it because it was at like 6am that everyone was having supper. Oh, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) Um, so let us talk about Riverdale. Let us talk of Riverdale. Should we check in with everyone? Yes. Let's start with, um, let's start with our, our, our leads who don't get enough lead time. Sure. Maybe first of all. Let's do it. Uh, uh, Josie. Josie, our favorite. Plot is happening around Josie. Plot is happening to Josie. Yeah. I'm waiting for Josie to have some agency in a plot. Yeah, that'd be cool. They false started us a little bit a they few did, times through, yeah. um, and I'm enjoying ev- everything Mayor McCoy is going through. I'm enjoying it. I loved the little lines in that she had in the last episode that hinted she's going to be a power player in a new, fresh way. I'm returning to my law practice. I yeah. am ready for Josie to roll with that to be part of that. Um, yeah. I um, some preview, uh, not potentially spoilery, but really it's in the text, in the promotional text, uh, next week suggests that she and Kevin are going to have some plot, um, probably related to that, uh, parental affair thing. Wow. Um, so that Josie will get at least a B plot or a C plot next episode is suggested. I'm here for it. I want it. I want more Pussycats. I want her team, uh, back on screen, even though they've broken up. I want to see what's happening with that. Um, and apparently she's working on her solo career. We've gotten that line from Mayor McCoy like three times. Yeah. You're supposed to be focused on your solo career. Well, let's see it. Yeah, let's have some evidence of the solo career. I'm interested to see if, um, uh, Sierra's, Mayor McCoy's first name, um, Sierra and, um, Josie become a bit of a, whatever the mother-daughter version of a power couple is. Mm-hmm. Solo career plus returning to legal career. I'm interested in that. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really fun. Definitely. Especially, like, pitted against, but, like, frenemies with... with the Lodges. Her, yeah, Hermione and uh, Veronica. Boss. Yeah. Hermione is now just boss. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a lot of mother-daughter power couples in this show. Yep. Alice and Betty. Doing a murder together. Yeah, um, and Ron then... And Hermione, possibly even, doing a murder together. Yeah, and even, weirdly, Cheryl and Mrs. Blossom, whose first name I can't remember. S- hiding a suicide together. Yeah. 
Anyway, women in death? Women in death. <laughs> We're always cleaning up after... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, we are, but like... Yeah. Um, no, really, though. Um, so, Josie, yeah. I would love to see some more plot from Josie. I kind mm-hmm. of was hoping that the Chuck storyline would go somewhere. Yeah. Like, Josie and Cheryl would become buds. Ish, but well, you yeah, know. and Josie's definitely buds with Betty a bit, and so if like she turned around and was like, "I'm dating Chuck," everyone would be like, "Um, <laughs> let's talk about that." Yeah. But then they'd talk about that. Yeah. Um, thinking about that Cheryl Josie friendship. Oh yeah. I feel like it went bleep and was present, but then we forgot about it. And I, something I give this show props for. Hmm is that they don't usually... Hi, Fridge. Don't mind the clonking sound. That's my refrigerator so slowly dying. In the middle of my point, Fridge. Anyway, I was saying, this show doesn't usually let hanging plot points sit for too long. I find. Or, yeah, like, or they just drop them all together. There's been a couple of moments of that. Like, like what, any in particular. I'm, I'm really curious, because I was thinking about this in anticipation of this episode, of this recording. Um... As a strength, mm. and, and again, I'm, I'm often comparing to Glee. That's oh, my baseline, okay. oh, right, right, for a lot of this. For teen ensemble, a little music, a little bit of a, a tongue-in-cheek edgy, that's kind of my baseline of comparison often. And one of the biggest things that heralded Glee falling apart was the inconsistency of storylines. It was clear that mm. this week's writer hadn't even read last week's script, Ooh. right? Um, it's a bit of a disaster. <laughs> we could... We could have a long talk about the disillusion and destruction of Glee. That's okay. a that's a small dissertation there. Um, but that's not something I'm seeing this show do. I feel like this show consistently knows what their characters' arcs are and mm-hmm. allows them to stay on that track even as our, our narrative focus shifts and pans around um, to different aspects and, and, and tones of story. Um, I feel like Cheryl and Josie is one of... And, Josie in general, Josie and the Pussycats, Josie and Cheryl, Josie and Chuck, is something that they've panned sharply away from and let that ball drop in a way that they've not with some other plots. Yeah, I think that's true. And that I think that's true. Yeah, I mean that's just part and parcel for the under underuse of Josie in general. Probably my increasingly my number one complaint about this show. Increasingly, which the underuse of Josie. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a shame. I think that actor is so, like, really engaging. Like, she's really yeah. fun to watch. Her, like, her comedy about, like, coming around the corner in the, the episode we both loved and mm-hmm. finding Chuck and being annoyed but also being kind of scared and, like, yeah. being resigned to this was her ride home kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I thought all of her beats were really strong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And tying to this um, this initial setup, the, the inherent musicality of this show that, again, always reminds me a little bit of Glee, early mm-hmm. Glee. Mm-hmm. Um, there's inherent diagenic musicality, in-world musicality. Yeah. That um, I think in the pitch and the premise and the pilot was embodied by Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, I agree. And has more often, especially in this season, been delegated off to Veronica. Yeah, and it's I'm, too bad. It's not that I'm not enjoying that. It's yeah. that I I think it's it's... Stealing from one important character to give another character weight and focus. Yeah. um, From the original setup. And if you're going to let Josie float from the center of that musicality, then uh, I'd like to see what else you got going for her. Use her. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Who else are we talking about, Ryan? Uh, we usually say like our main seven, right? So yeah. I guess. Well, we're just uh, about Cheryl, Cheryl. Should we talk about Cheryl? Cheryl, 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 Cheryl. Our favorite redhead. Cheryl's heart's growing. Cheryl's finding a heart. Cheryl has a heart. I yeah. believe in Cheryl. I do too. Um, I'm interested to see her fall in love with Tony. Mm-hmm. I demand it, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and they gotta earn it. Yeah, because Cheryl's be been awful. Like, yeah, Cheryl's been awful to Tony. Yes, like Tony needs to not be like. I don't know. Tony needs to be there also. It just doesn't need to happen. Yeah. So many ways that relate, that could be a relationship. So many, so many ways. Um, I don't even want to start guessing or predicting because, uh, uh, so many ways. Well, one plot line I can think of Mm -hmm. is that Cheryl gets all like, I just want to help with the, like, the colonialism and the poverty and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she gets a little, like, Betty Cooper and is like, I want to be a self-righteous middle-class white girl, too. And Tony, like, calls her on it, and then, like, they end up having a conversation about it. Yeah. And then they get closer and closer and closer to each other on the couch as the episode goes on, and my little heart will be so happy. I, I, that is my yeah. thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cheryl authentically... Wanting to become a better person, becoming a better person, and then being good enough for Tony. Yes. This is my desire. Yes. And, like, I, I think... also like the idea of, like, Tony sleeping over at the, like, the Blossom house, and then in the morning, <laughs> having to deal with Mrs. Blossom. I think it would be hilarious. Yes. In every way. Yeah. Also, Mrs. The Blossoms, in general, like, have such holdover hypocritical biases mm. at this point, right? Like I'm I'm enjoying the fall of the blossoms as a, as an upper upper middle class dynasty. Um and watching these two very interesting women process their own hypocrisies and biases and bigotries mm. um as they live and survive. Um, I think we're getting that growth with Cheryl. I think Penelope is taking a slightly different bent, but I'm still really interested in Penelope. her in her and her arc. And yeah, I mean she's she has associated herself with Hal Cooper now, and thus is tainted in my eyes forever. Yeah, um, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really hoping. It doesn't come down to Alice versus Penelope in any way, shape, or form. I can do without that. Yeah. Um, but I'm very interested in Penelope as an actor in Riverdale, mm-hmm. and Penelope as an actor in Cheryl's life, and how their 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 growth um, is not in lockstep, but almost in in leapfrog with each other mm-hmm. in ways. Yeah. Like I think. I think Penelope's sex work has been an excellent social challenge and catalyst for Cheryl. Um, that arguably was a an inciting catalyst for the kind of conversations that they had, um, where the the Cheryl discovers colonialism mm-hmm. discussion in which she realizes her ancestors bankroll genocide. Yeah, um, I think in the world of Riverdale, those conversations snowballed comfortably. From the type of back and forth competition Cheryl and her mother have been having. Mm-hmm. And that's somehow driving them both. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a relationship I'm interested to see develop as well. I'm a little annoyed with the treatment of sex work in this show, but mm-hmm. we can come to that. I'm I'm withholding full judgment until further in the season. Yeah. Um I'm not I'm not the optimism. I'm not feeling the optimism that I was. Um I am not the optimism. Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of this mid-season where we had two uh sympathetically presented characters uh who had chosen to uh, be sex workers, um, and they're now both ambiguously gray moral, probably villains. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? We'll I see. really hope there's some other. I hope there's a save for one or both of them that makes it not terrible. I, I mostly for Chick. I kind of hope that Betty's participation in in camming is explored in a non skeezy way. Yeah, I would also like, like that. Um, I'm I'm seeing from some stills, some previews, some discussion that this dark Betty as a as a sexual exploration exploration thing mm-hmm. is coming back into play in upcoming plots. And um, you know, we saw the wig come out when yeah. she was having that cam conversation, I guess. Um, and I think we see the wig come out again, um, and how that ties to her agency over her own sexuality. I guess we're in Betty territory now, aren't we? We are in Betty territory. We can just move swiftly on to Betty. That was nice and natural. And we can double back to Kevin. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Bessie. <laughs> Bessie Cooper is um, showing a lot of strength, I think. and yeah. But she always is. And is, like, protecting her mom a bit, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. And, um... What, a, what an interesting application... Of the um, Nancy Drew detective work. Yeah. <laughs> um, as of late. That in any situation, Betty is an analyst. Mm-hmm. In that very interesting and engaging way. Yeah. I feel like we're constantly slipping into these mystery stories with Betty. And specifically when we're with Betty in perspective. And it's mm. consistently done very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, that... that always creates um a real sense of place for me um i kind of like there's a certain i i I call it sense of place um a sense of the world where this happens that i really hearken back to um i i read a lot of boxcar kids growing up oh i remember them yeah um but boxcar kids hardy boys nancy drew um all of these books consistently gave me the sense of more than just being on the mystery, being with these characters, being in this world where this sort of small town gumshoe mystery has weight. And that's what I get in the Betty plots. This this very nostalgic sense of place, sense of tone, sense of we're in a community where this kid gets to make a real impact. That it's 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 a hmm. very very precise and hard to Hard to describe sort of nostalgia feeling. Interesting. Maybe Betty will run for mayor. That'd be interesting. Probably not, though. I mean, it would be topical um, in the the political discussion. (laughs) One of the biggest trends um, that I'm thrilled by in the last year is how many young people in my generation and younger are running for public office and winning. Winning. Um, I suspect Betty, the the 16, 17-year-old high schooler running for office, wouldn't quite work. No, indeed. But, um, well, maybe Chick will run for office. Oh, God. He seems like he's got it going on, right? He's very put together and 
No? Yeah, no. no I want to see no. Alice, Hermione, and Hermione run for office against each other. That's what I want. I could see that. Oh, that could be very good. It could be very good. I would enjoy it a great deal. That would be a good use of our body in the body in the forest pension. If Alice runs for office. Oh, yeah. It'd be a race to which character gets to blackmail her. Yeah, but the, <laughs> technically the only people who know about it are Chick, Veronica, FP, and Jughead. Yeah, but FP said so specifically and intentionally that the secret ends here that you know it can't. Yeah. That's that's Chekhov gun, gun dialogue. It is. So much attention drawn to you. How no one else must know. Poor FP. Poor FP. Um, yeah, Betty's doing good. Betty, Should we circle I mean, back to Kevin? Yeah, within 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 the new layers of trauma that yeah. she's discovered, Betty's doing good. He and good. Jughead had sex. They did. However they define that. Yeah, I noticed we uh, cut away from that. Which, yeah? I mean, there wasn't going to be a... An intense sex scene on Riverdale, anyway. No, but... and arguably that'd be kind of weird. That would be super weird. Yeah, I'm really enjoy that. Um, I, I'm comfortable with that screening, that character plot, having made my peace with the possibility of asexual Jughead. Not that you can't be asexual and also still have sex or have had sex, but uh, I don't trust most television or media to. Um, clue into that nuance. No, indeed. Um, until until TV consistently remembers that women who are involved with women can be bisexual and aren't automatically lesbians erasing whatever past preferences and history they've shown. So far, I think it's like Grey's Anatomy and maybe Riverdale. Wow. <laughs> who seem to manage that? Um, with any consistency? Speaking of the queers... Yeah! Kevin Keller. My boy! Not a lot's been happening. No, no, Kevin's not on my screen, and I don't know why. I'm confused and sad. Yeah. But Kevin will be, I bet. He he's, better be. He's showing up in screen caps alongside Moose and Midge. Oh. And, like, oh. you know, we might we might not get our the positive sex work representation we want. We might not get the positive asexuality representation we want. Maybe we'll get the positive polyamory and bisexuality representation <laughs> that we... That is, like, eight ticks down the radar, but it needs to happen somewhere. I would be surprised if there was a positive polyamory res- representation. That would surprise me a great deal. And yet maybe Mitch seems cool. But yeah, totally. I think Midge and Kevin would be fantastic metamors. But I think that um uh I think we might get some good bisexuality representation from Moose. Yeah. At very least a conversation about it. Yeah. We've not forgotten that making out in the woods, Moose. No, no. We have not forgotten. Nor those hospital room glances. Oh, hey, Moose. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. I also do feel that um, it would be kind of neat, so long as we produce a different romantic interest for Kevin, Mm. um, it would be kind of neat if, like, Moose and Kevin were, like, two dudes in the same situation were looking out for each other. Yeah. That would also be cool. Queer friends are good, too. They, they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this entire podcast, <laughs> for example. Yeah! Um, Good things come when queer people hang out and don't make out. Yes. That'd be weird. That'd be weird. No, we don't like that. Um, <laughs> moving uh, on! Moving on. We don't like this option. Uh, um, oh, yeah, we haven't seen anything from potential gang member boyfriend yet. Oh, yeah. But, but he's he's still in the dating pool. Yeah. Thanks, Fogarty. He's very, he's very svelte. Mm-hmm. Um... 
Who else have we got? We've got, okay, we did Josie, we did Cheryl, we did Kevin, we did Betty. We haven't really talked about Jughead yet. We've not talked about Jughead. Not at length. Not his plot. No, his plot's kind of been like a lot of gang life realness. And then getting his lady love back. There's been a lot of reacting to the circumstances that are falling apart around him. Um, And I feel like that is its own interesting portrayal of when you get in too deep in something too real. Yeah. Um, That things have been just happening to and around Juggy this whole half season. Yeah, Penny Peabody is back. Oh boy. I'm glad. I actually, I I like her as a performer. Mm, Like, I, I like what she adds to the tension of Riverdale, that she's a power player. But she's like... If if I if I wasn't annoyed when Tallboy was on my screen, I know. You know, like nothing against the actor; he's doing what he's told to. But he's such a trope, like mm, gruff middle aged gang dude trope biker. Yeah. Um, and they clearly never had anything terribly interesting planned for the character either. Although they've no. left it open for him to be a future antagonist. Um. Penny adds so much more creative problem causing. Yeah. Um, than the 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 MOOC secondhand. <laughs> that uh, I'm 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 pretty pleased to see her still in play. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, I do think that there needed to be I also loved uh, there needed to be consequences for what Jughead did. Mm-hmm. I also loved how like horrified FP was. <laughs> To discover that Jughead had removed part of someone's arm. Yep. Like, fairly so. That that he had that reaction. I thought that was interesting. It was a good parenting moment. FP tries so hard. Yeah, FP. FP and Jughead's relationship is excellent. Mm. Yeah. This second half of the season. Like, no one else... No other parent on this show gives gives their whole focus and attention to their child's well-being. Quite so much as FP, I would say. Which is not where he started out. No. By no, I agree. Um, so what character growth? What character growth? To go from the deadbeat drunk dad to... Yeah. The most involved. I started to get a little annoyed by Jughead. I feel you there, yeah. Um, I like... I, I, I believe the transition. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that, like, his, like, literary heart is gone. Mm. Which is what it feels like right now. I don't believe... He's stopped making Shakespeare references. Hmm. And I think that... And literary references generally. And I think that... That feel... That... That doesn't feel real to me. Mm. I feel like he would still be himself, even though he's the gang version. Hmm. I also want to know what happened to his club. The snake's lying low in the grass. Oh, yeah. There's a plot point they haven't gotten back to. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been off in the parent land playing with the, uh, a different set of stakes than at the school for playing a little while. With murder. Playing with murder. So many murder. So many murder. So many murder. So, yeah, I'm interested to see. I like that Jughead and Betty are back together because I feel mm-hmm. like it's one of those, like heartbreaky relationships that's going to get really good for a bit and then they're mm-hmm. going to break up for real or maybe not like you know it's going to be one of those i'm ready for uh, in the in the long game i'm interested to see if this this shift in jughead is an intentional 
melancholic tonal choice. Or, this is always something I'm keeping an eye out, if if the, the screws are starting to come loose. Hmm. Right? Because the pace of television making, I think, is a, is a real factor in the disillusion of a lot of otherwise very tightly plotted uh, shows. Hmm. And the, the, ty- the, the, the nuances, like little literary references in the text, and consistency in a character's literary body of interest, for example, those are the sort of details that I start to see fall apart as an indicator of a show that is outpacing itself hmm. creatively. I don't think we're there yet, but it's that is a that is a canary I'm looking for hmm. is um, the consistency of Jughead's literary references and general pretensions. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Um, who we got left? Archie Veronica. Veronica. Oh, the lodges. Um, I yeah, feel like lots I, happening there. Like I can't even talk about Veronica's story because it's right now the lodges story, and the the like three D chess game happening between Hiram and Hermione and Veronica and Archie. <laughs> um, I like that it is contained between those four people in the mo- in a big way right now. Yeah, it is interesting. Um. And it's going to be it's going to be especially interesting to see how Archie fits into this power play from what we have established and discovered at the end of the last episode. Hmm. That there isn't there isn't actually the outside pressure. That that's something that the um the FBI arc brought for me. The sense of there's an oversight oh. and a big outside watching eye. That there's some bigger power, in this case, the FBI. Yeah. The absence of that means that the Lodges are, in fact, the biggest fish in the pond. Hmm. Uh, the most dangerous fish. And also the the player with the most cards. Hmm. Um, that absence of doubt of investigation, that changes the scale in a, in a really interesting way. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, that did not occur to me at all, I have to say. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um... I wonder if how that plot is going to resolve itself is over something I just thought of, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner, mm-hmm. which is Fred Andrews finding out what's going on, blowing his top, mm-hmm. and, like, saying to the lodges, like, you can have my company. Like, I just want my son. Right. Like, leave my son out of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> I would not be surprised. And, and that would be very much between Fred and Hermione. As a personal betrayal. Yeah, I think there would be a little of that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Because Fred's been lying low this season. Yeah, there hasn't been too much from him. Mm -hmm. He's relevant, but he isn't a character with a lot of agency this season. No. For very fair plot reasons. Mm. Um, Veronica on a personal level. Um... I'm very interested in the tenuous state of Veronica's interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Through season one, um, I think we met a Veronica who, um, in a very different tone than the comic books, was fast friends and, and at least believed herself to be very strongly, very immediately intimate with this mm. group of, group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we are seeing with good reason um, the evolution of aloof socialite, ostensibly daddy's girl Veronica, mm. that is more the Veronica we know in the comics that that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as she is distanced from so many people by these plots, by these schemes. Yeah, I think that's true. Like, she's both being used and trying to maintain real relationships at the same time. Yeah. And that is, like, in participating in this, this is her only way of maintaining her relationship with her parents, really. Now that she's recognized the yeah. the um, the kid gloves that have been on for most of her life. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, the that amount... have been on in handling her, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The distance that has been kept between her and her parents' life, mm-hmm. really. You know, the we saw a lot of horrifying discoveries for her with her in season one, right? Yes. And now she's trying to take control of the situation somehow, some way, find her place in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's alienating her from her peers and her from her friends in, in an interesting way. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, and I think it is gonna, I think, uh, I think it is gonna, the omelet's gonna hit the fan a bit. Mm-hmm. Especially with Archie. Yeah. But he's also gonna have to come clean about stuff, too. Yes. Yes. So. What yeah, the relationship is gonna land in at the end of that is interesting. Yeah. I, I kind of expect them to break up by the end of the season. That because I, 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 I don't think... I feel like they've both been working for the idea of the relationship that they've had for most of this season rather mm-hmm. than actually enjoying or being present in the relationship that they have. Interesting. Like, there's there's been nothing pure or authentic or wholly authentic about them as a couple for most of this season hmm. because of these building power games and dynamics. I really think they're going to hit a wall and realize we are, we're, we're not actually dating. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like something that could happen in real life also. <laughs> um, Archie Andrews brings us to Archie Andrews. Archie Andrews. Archie Andrews oh, has boy. grown a bit of a spine and is not really being led around. I think for a second was not being led around by his nose, by yeah. his ear, some body part, by the adults, and now suddenly is again. And then the game changed. He had yeah. almost figured out the game, and then the game changed. Yeah. I um like that Agent Adams was working for the Lodges. Yeah. And I like, I did not expect the thing with Hermione. Agreed. At, at all. And, um... I'm interested to see how Archie fits into all of that now. I'm very interested to see the developing relationship between Archie and Hermione Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a, a good a good fill, I think, of Hermione and Hiram and that their pissing contest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm excited. Okay, I'm excited. What will be revealed about Hermione through Archie's plot? Yeah. Um, that's tangential to Archie in particular, but um, that that strikes me as one of the most interesting upcoming things, that she is the one who brought him in. And so I'm expecting a, a whole new power game from the, the tense office conversations we've had with Hiram. Yeah. I'm expecting a new game, and I'm excited for that dynamic. Also, did, like... Did they act without um, telling Veronica and or telling each other? Because Veronica says, like, I don't want Archie to be involved. Mm. And then suddenly it's like, welcome to the family. I, I, I believe so. 
that that mm-hmm. was my read and understanding as well. That's another reason for Veronica to be a bit mad at her parents. Yes. And for both of them to double down in the game they're playing. Hmm. I am curious if Archie's going to get on Veronica's side before this all breaks and blows up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they could be an amazing power couple. Um, although, at this point in the season, they feel more like... They feel more Hiram and Hermione than a, a romantic power couple to me right now. Yeah. Like, they could very easily fall into a relationship of shared power. More than the relationship of shared passion that they began as. Yeah. I mean, they're also kids, too. Like, this would... I would I'm gonna, like be super annoyed with this show if it turns into them, like, getting married before they leave high school and everyone's upset. Like, if you, like, turn this into Twilight on me, I'm going to be really mad. (laughs) I believe better of of them all than that. I do, too. Um, I really wish we could talk this in depth about the plot ramifications of Kevin and Josie. I know, me too. (laughs) One day, Riverdale, give it to us. Give it to us. Give it to us. Um, any, Go ahead. Any other rock star characters who you're really excited by right now? <coughs> Who's maybe not one of the main seven who we've considered lead characters, but who, you know, is really important? You're talking about Chick? I'm talking about Tony. Oh, Tony! Yeah. Tony, my favorite as always. Um, I would like her to have some more plot. I would like her to have some more lines. I would like her to have some more agency. I really want to continue that moment. Of Tony making a speech at the rally she organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want the moment after Hiram Lodge took over the mic and shut her down, because that long lingering shot on her face, as kind of her voice is drowned out, so powerful, so well done. Mm-hmm. I want more. Yeah. Lead, I want Tony leading the revolution. Yeah. But I also want Tony being a goofy kid. I, See if you can do both, <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, basically what Ryan said, I just want Tony to have more story. Yeah. All of it. And it and good. All of it and good. Yeah, make sure it's good also. Don't just, like... Yes. Yes. You know all those options you're thinking of. Don't do those. Do what we suggested. <laughs> yes. Um, shall we talk a little about the technical aspects of this show and then yes. call it a Saturday afternoon? Awesome. That's Which what we're what recording, it gang. It's Chinese New Year. Lunar oh, New Year. Not just Chinese. Happy Lunar New Year to everyone. Dog year. Dog year. Arf. Hmm? Um, Technical components of this show. Um, I love the sound in this show. The sound design is consistently tight. There's a great use of varied contemporary music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a great balance of the very occasional recognizable emotional note. And um, usually less well-known, very carefully chosen punctuation music. Mm. Um, I like that they they do a lot of um, contemporary pop music, but they cut it into a score. They cut it into a... Oh, yeah, I see what Mm -hmm. you mean. Yes, 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 yes. They score it, in fact. Yes. (laughs) I think a lot of television um, falls into the trap of we're going to let this montage fit the song. I think oh. I think Riverdale does a good job of carefully clipping and cutting uh like a music montage into powerful mm-hmm. scenes mm-hmm. to um to serve the pace rather than pacing to the music. Oh, 
yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they mm-hmm. definitely pick um they pick a lot of music that serves the show really really well mm-hmm. and serves the tone of the show really well specifically. Yeah. And I'm thinking of moments like as varied as um the bittersweet symphony moment in mm-hmm. the church where these two teenagers who are being pretty well manipulated by their <laughs> parents who are looking at the rest of their lives and like we all have that moment as mm-hmm. even as young adults i think probably even as older adults where we're like man is this it yes you know and i thought that was like i thought that was a really nice tone to set in this otherwise very sugared pale churchy moment Yes. Um, to So a moment like that, all the way to like the audio remix of Archie's voice in his own head. I was just going to bring up that exact point. Which is just the point. greatest. It's so great. Anyway, do go on. That moment is such an interesting mix of in-world and not in-world sound. There's, it plays that moment of ambiguity of yeah. what of this sound is heard, what is in Archie's head, what is only for us, the listener. Yeah. Um, it played that ambiguity in a way that um, heightened our... I think our engagement in questioning, it makes you lean in and ask what's happening in this moment in Archie's emotional state. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think Riverdale is consistently creative with, um, Mm -hmm. demonstrating and heightening emotional state with cinematography, with sound, with technical components in a way that Mm -hmm. many television shows don't do. Yeah. In a, in a creative and filmic way. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, it's cinematic in a way most like a second season serial storytelling shows don't allow themselves to be at find. I buy that. Mm-hmm. That sounds real to me. Um, I don't have a lot of comparison in that way, mm-hmm. um, to be honest, but that sounds super real. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you've commented on a lot is the, the lighting elements of this show. And mm-hmm. I find that this show generally is lit in a very sympathetic, very kind of candy box light. Yeah. And um what what I like about that is that the contrast um of like uh Betty falling into bed after cleaning up the body or mm-hmm. the big long headlights in the the um the Tarantino Halloween episode. Yes. Or even just um uh Kevin out in the woods in the dark, I find the way those are lit to be in such stark and kind of troubling contrast to, but even the, Mm -hmm. even the like saccharine lighting for lack of a better word. And it's not, it's not pressed on too hard. Like Pop Steiner is a great example of the, the oversaturated. Yeah. Um, and not just oversaturated, but carefully assembled, um, color, colored images. Um, um, I, I, I want to break it down in more detail. I don't. I wish I had a picture right in front of me. I was I was just listening to um, uh, a scene analysis from the director of Black uh, Black Panther, mm-hmm. breaking down one of the fight scenes, and he talks a lot about the color grading of the costume. That, by the way? Oh, oh, wonderful, wonderful! It lives up to all of its hype, and it's cool. it's just such a good film. I'm excited to see it. Like strip away all the social importance and weight and necessity of this film, and it is still in a vacuum a spectacularly made film. Now add the social relevance, and it is um, it is the film that needs to happen this year. If Hollywood's going to keep making movies, they need to keep making movies like this. Okay, I'm going to go see that movie anyway. <laughs> um, Pop Steiner. I mean, so much of the color, the color grading, um, not just leaning into that heavy saturation, but creating those like, um, like 
like soft neon pinks and soft neon blues yeah that are so bold and um and you said saturn as a word i, I want to say comic booky yeah that's um, i mean that's yeah that's, that's more what i'm getting at I think. with like a teen noir flair yeah saccharin would be like the way that marie antoinette is like lit yes. and colored. A cotton candy colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think our Riverdale is a stronger, sharper, I want to say neon pastel. I mean, I don't know. Um, I find the, like, the sort of muted, like, almost mm. bleak pastels of the Cooper household, like, yeah. so unsettling, especially those breakfasts with Chick. Well, this is, this is where the, um, the brilliant distinction of place and character mm-hmm, and tone mm-hmm. through the color comes into play. The bleakness, the sterility of the Cooper home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially of the um, the reds and warmth of the lodge home. Mm-hmm. The ominous enclosing warmth that you can feel created by the coloring. The yellowing and oranging yeah. and reddening of that space. Both, yeah. in, both in the design and decor, but in the colors, in how it's shot to focus and use, use natural firelight quite often. Mm-hmm. Um... That, um, I feel like it's such a strong and clever way to distinguish this space, this plot, this mood, and, and also to hearken both to the, you know, the godfathery image of, uh, American mafios, mafioso, and, mm-hmm. and the telenovela sort of Catholic warm tension. Hmm. Yeah. I don't watch enough telenovela to comment extensively. Jane the Virgin is my most extensive telenovela exposure uh yes and it's not even telenovela it's just in the borrowing heavily from the style tradition okay um yeah so i I, i've got a lot of secondary telenovela awareness more than firsthand yeah yeah and like the i mean a really obvious example is how like one moment where i thought the lighting and the color scheme was like too on the nose was the Mm -hmm. Southside high stuff Yes. It's like, oh, we had a poor high school with bad lighting. Okay. I, I would argue a lot about Southside was a little heavy-handed. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of, as I sit on, sit with it a little longer, one of my, my bigger takeaway criticisms of the first half of the season mm-hmm. was how heavy-handed specifically the Southside gang plot was assembled and delivered to us mm-hmm. uh, and in sync with the Black Hood plot. Yeah. The two built off of each other, fed off of each other, became hyperbolic, became past past suspendable disbelief. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the color profile is part of that. How Southside was decorated and, yeah. and felt. Yeah, with all that sort of, of very intentional graffiti. Yeah, it was a little much. And um, that might be me speaking from a place of privilege, because I don't actually know what um, a high school on the wrong side of the tracks looks like in rural America. Um, no, indeed. Nor do I. I know in, in rural Canada, um, that's not what I see. Um, though I've never been to a high school on one of the poorer reserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that, um, probably is a closer reflection from, I guess, what I know secondhand from teachers who have worked in those communities. That's a closer cl- a reflection of Southside. Uh, as far as what Canada has. Because, like, my school was rock, pretty much rock-bottom ranked in Alberta for oh, high schools okay. um, as far as academics went. I see. Um, so I didn't go to a good school. What? Uh, do you mind me asking what high school that was? Oh, yeah. Um, George P. Vanier in northern Alberta. 
in okay, Donnelly. It's in Donnelly, okay. Yes, in Donnelly, know. Alberta. Um, and it's not necessarily the fault of... I feel like I have to defend my school now, even though they're horrible in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful, well-intentioned people who work there. But um, because it's a resource industry community, mm-hmm. um, we have a large number of students who are entering mid-year uh, who have very transient migratory families with inconsistent incomes, inconsistent and unstable households, mm-hmm. uh, and who are often transferring in and out of multiple schools in a single season, mm-hmm. uh, which does artificially drive our academic rankings down. Because there are a lot of kids who on paper look like hard fails. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and there is definitely a lot to be said about a lack of oppor- educational opportunity in that community, in that school, by size, by investment, uh, especially by the inability to retain qualified teachers. Uh, mm. Because bluntly, most people don't want to live in this tiny middle of nowhere town. It's yeah. a huge problem. Um, hmm. So many problems. But um, yeah, I... I never experienced the kind of uh, noise that Southside High demonstrates. Right. But um, I felt like they were trying to channel more of a, like, inner-city urban problems. Yeah, and which is racialized, for... Like, coding racialized problems into, into class. Yes. Um, which happened in small towns, I would assume. Definitely. Like, the next, the next town over from us, their high school, there was a native door. There was um, a door where you didn't go in that door if you're white. Whoa. It's And it, it was an unofficial community-enforced segregation. Uh, this is up until after I graduated. Before they, the, the only solution in play was to board up that door. Oh, good. That was, that was the solution to those racial tensions. <sighs> okay. Anyway, Riverdale. <laughs> um, yeah, color grading, what? That's important. Uh, <laughs> Um, the, the lighting and the color grading tie together, I think, um, very nicely in, in, in that they consistently create very stark, very extreme visuals Yeah, that, um, I think play to the, the heightened reality of the world. Yeah. But it also gives, it gives this show an edge. I think the technical mm. elements of this show provide it with so much tone yeah. and edge. And I, I think that's why I'm still here. Yes. Honestly, with this show is that it. Like, what I said, I think, a few weeks ago on the podcast, this is a bunch of talented people who got together to make money. Yeah. I think that that's especially in evidence with some of the technical aspects. Yes, the talent of the team behind it really yeah. come into play. Um, they could they could say nothing at all, and I would still enjoy watching this, this visual. Yeah. And listening to this show for another few seasons. Even if they stop saying anything of importance. Um... But I think they are dipping their toes into the water of some some huge social dialogues yeah. that I'm really excited by. And I think they're doing it... They're definitely not doing it from my perspective, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't a show that is itself taking a hard left progressive lens. Mm-hmm. But I, I... As demonstrated to me in how much space they, they have to give... You know, someone like Tony to explain herself, but also the kind of, a lot of Tony's early lines felt like, to me, a centrist writing someone's far progressive views. Hmm. Like, yeah. it took a little while for the nuance and the, the authenticity of that, that, mm-hmm. um, that dialogue to start to filter through as they started to give more space and screen time to, 
to for indigenous issues, for example. Yeah. Um, and if they stopped that right now, I'd, I'd, I'd still like this show. But I, I feel like they're slowly, slowly digging in further. Yeah, I um, would pr- appreciate fewer nods and more dealing yep. Riverdale. Explicit focus and attention. You don't have to, like, bore the audience with not having cute little love stories like Bughead. Don't worry. Don't worry. Your audience is not going to get bored. As in evidence, mm-hmm. um, the, the high school students thinking about walking out, bringing it all full circle, I think your adolescent audience is there for the, the bubblegum, but they're also there for the stuff. Your adolescent audience, they're literally on fire and angry and will eat that which you give them to feed their fire. Um, wow, should we end the podcast like right on that soundbite? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What a nice compliment. Yes. Um, uh, I'll save that for my speech, for motivational speech writing. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with our little hiatus check-in. Great, we've ended. Boom, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, what things we're looking forward to. I'm looking oh, forward yes. to, um, we've seen some stills of Moose Midge and Kevin. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned. They're all in a room together at some point. They're all in a room together at some point. I'm interested in what that's going to be. I'm interested in the musical episode. Yes. The Carrie episode. I I think um, we'll have to confirm scheduling, but I think we're going to have a a special guest speaking with us that episode as well. Okay, cool. Great. I'm looking forward to that. Is that potentially someone we know who makes a lot of musical theater? Theater in town? Yeah. Yes. Who may or may not have a tattoo on her arm. Yes, that one. Okay, cool. Yes. (laughs) Spoilers. Yes. Um, I think we're, we're looking at maybe one one guest host a month or so is what we've oh, got great. for the next two months lined up. Excellent. I'm, I'm so looking forward to all that. Yeah. Um, anything else, Ryan? I'm, I'm, show, me the, show me Tony and Cheryl in a slow, carefully, meticulously built redemption, growing enemies to friends to lovers long story. That's what I want. That would be great. The the if you don't do it, I'm writing the fanfic. So uh, <laughs> save me the trouble, please. <laughs> um, I want more Bughead always. Yes, I'm I th- sure. I'm feeling okay. I'm gonna get it. I know you don't. I'll want accept it. that. Um, this podcast is recorded on unceded Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territory. Thank you to Patreon, to Thunderquack, and um, thank you to you listeners for. Hanging yeah. out with us and uh, and geeking out about Riverdale with us. Um, we are up on the Facebook if you want a more direct interaction. Yes. I think Chloe and I are both going to start paying a little more attention to that world. Um, so that's the most direct way to actually hang out with us is join us on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and we do have a Twitter, Riverdale Gang, up on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that... Even on Instagram. We need to post a little to Instagram. Yeah. We will. That's our, maybe our hiatus week projects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that may or may not be a lie. If you <laughs> are uh, searching in Google for this podcast, Ann and Tia did season one. Oh, yes. Um, we are Ryan and Chloe. We're doing season two. We'll fix that one day. Yes. <laughs> um, have a wonderful hiatus, Riverdale gang. We'll see you back for the March 7th episode. We will yes. be back with you on... March 8th. Take care of each other, kids. Till then, gang. Bye.